Welcome to the Heavy Lifting Podcast with Ravi Lula. Today on the show, I have good friend, uh, published author, and he's a pastor over at Stonebridge. What campus are you at? I'm at the Benson Campus. The Benson Campus over at Stonebridge. So he's a very hipster. He's got a denim jacket as we speak. Um, looking very cool. And no, yes, I'm yes. just jealous. Cause thank you. Thank you. I'm just jealous because he's cooler than me. I've got Alex Hall here on the podcast today. Alex, how are you, bud? Dude, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, I uh, I do wear denim jackets now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think the 90s are really swinging back around. Dude, that's the best part, though, right? Yeah. That's the best part of hipster culture oh, it's is great, the fact man. that the 90s are cool again. Yeah, dude, I kind of want to get some Zubaz pants. Oh, you remember those? Yeah, like, oh, oh, for oh, sure. God. Do I remember Zubaz <laughs> pants? That is like my sweet spot. Yeah, man. Yeah, so there's a website where you can order them, actually. That's all joggers are. Joggers are Zubaz yes. without the print, and now yeah. they're like, guys, what if we put print on our joggers? And Let's we're like, guys, those are Zubaz. Let's bring the print back, man. <laughs> uh, they're so nice. I just wish I had, I obviously I wouldn't fit in it still, but I wish I had kept all of my clothes from like middle school. Yep. I would be the coolest person alive. Dude, it all swings back around. And now I just have to rebuy all the stuff. And it's yeah. like, man, this was so much cheaper when I was a not cool seventh grader. No. It's absurd. I do love, man, I love all the 90s stuff coming back. Have you seen yes. Will Smith has like released a line of Fresh Prince apparel? Are you serious? Yeah, and there's this. It's not the blazer, but he's got like a track jacket that has. It's real. It's real. that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's like a hundred dollars, and I'm almost positive I'm going to buy it. But it's like reversible, like his blazer was at oh, in yeah. at uh, Bel Air, where it's got like the paisley red on the inside and it's navy on the other side. Oh my gosh, Dude, that's dope. Yeah, I'm almost a thousand percent gonna buy that. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna need that. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> we should just buy it for each other for Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, man. Yeah. <laughs> Steph, I had to do it. It's like, yeah. No, it was a Christmas present, Steph. Like I didn't, I didn't just spend a hundred dollars for yeah. this jacket. Yeah, it was a gift exchange. Our wives will understand. Oh, for sure. We're good friends. We're, we're great friends. <laughs> Actually, we're best friends. Um, and I, I do have to add this in. I am a self-published author. But thank you. Thank you for that. It I mean, is. Oh, listen, uh, if it's on Amazon, I feel like it counts. It looks really legit. It does. Like, I keep looking at my phone, and I'm like, wow, I'm on Amazon. That's pretty dope. Like, well, that's like, okay, so, you know, not to pull the curtain back too much here, but it's yeah. like when you tell people you have a podcast, like... They're like, oh, that's cool. You like have this outlet and, you know, people listen to you. And it's like, yeah, but at the same time, I just did it myself. Like no one, I didn't go through, a, you know, some media outlet and they're like, hey, let's give this guy a podcast. It was like, I bought a microphone, I plugged it into my computer and here we are. Here we are today, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think we like kind of glamorize like authors or, you know, podcasters and I all think this. like all creative people, we kind of, uh, yeah. we kind of idolize a little bit. Yeah. And we kind of think, oh, I could never do that. It's like this big production and there's so much to it. We make it out to be a lot harder than it is. The actual process of it, right? Yeah. Like, so the the content can be difficult because, yes. like, you know, some people have things to say and some people don't. Yeah. There's certain people that just don't have, and even if they have something that say they don't have the 
uh, the skills to put it into a consumable format, right? Yes. And I, I see this with people I've tried to bring in to host radio shows, mm-hmm. um, which 1620 does pay me to be on the air, so take that. <laughs> You're um, legit. <laughs> you are legit. Somebody did say, hey, let's put that guy on the air. Real deal. Which is not right now. I remember the first That's time I heard you on the radio, 1620, I was like, I, t- I started telling everybody at work, I know this guy. This is my guy right here. Dude, so this is off track real quick, but they're... Uh, I started hosting the Creighton Athletics Hour this year. Yeah. And there's a commercial that plays like during the day with my name in it. And it's just like my favorite thing in the world. It's like Dude. the most vain thing ever, but I love it. Dude, it's like, you know, all those males, 18 to 40, they're listening to it like 16, 20 all day. You're out there, man. Right. You're like, I'm in the, I'm in the atmosphere there. I know. It's kind of a cool thing. It really is. And the, the other thing is I had two incidents where people like recognized me quote unquote yeah so uh the first was my friend shout out to megan works at the coach outlet out in um out in the outlet mall oh, yeah, yeah. in gretna and i go in there it's right across from the nike store so i usually go in and say hi to her and my wife looks around sees if there is anything on sale uh, got her a nice coach bag for her birthday, so I'm a good husband like that. Um, even though we weren't technically married yet, I don't think. But anyway, um, and so I'll go. And one of her coworkers is apparently like a quote unquote fan, and because they were like, "Who was that guy?" And she's like, "Oh, that's my friend Ravi." And she's like, "Does he do radio on 1620? Can I meet him?" And I was like, "Dude, that's dope, Mom. I made it, Mom. Look, check it out." <laughs> and then this other one that happened was. Uh, Natasha and I, my wife, were at. Uh, have you ever been to V Mertz downtown? Nah. It's super swanky restaurant. Like they have they have sommeliers, so like you know it's legit. Oh, yeah. And uh, somebody paid for us to go there, so it was like a wedding <laughs> present. So it's not like I'm you know. Not, yeah, you're rolling fat. I'm man. not rolling sixteen twenty money. I'm not rolling in that podcast money yet. I don't have that Joe Rogan money yet. <laughs> but the sommelier who kind of. Uh, he knew my wife because she had been in there before with some of her like wine enthusiast friends and she, he's like I, I haven't met you to me but he's like but I know you from your radio stuff and I was like you, do, you don't know this but like that's just the best thing you could ever say to me is that you know me from my radio stuff <laughs> Dude, that is a cool moment right there where you're like oh okay but. just the smallest amount of recognition I'm sure it gets less cool the more well known you get but I just that the, that small recognition of like, hey, people do listen. Yeah, <laughs> like that's like I, it's a fine line probably between like, oh man, this is a great moment, and you get to the point of like Scott Frost where you hate going out in public sure. because every Nebraska fan comes up and is right, like, yanking on you. Can I get a picture, man? Like it's like I hate my life. <laughs> like, you can just tell the look on his face. Um, I'd be surprised if, if I were in that situation, and it's worse with him because not only do you have the like Tommy Frazier probably doesn't have it as bad as Scott Frost because Frazier, you've got the past glory, right? Yeah. Which you have with Frost as well. But Frazier doesn't have like, okay, you're now the savior of the program. No. So Frost has, okay, national champion winning quarterback, which in Nebraska is going to be bad enough anyway in terms of trying to go out in public. But then you also have savior of the program. So pretty much the two most revered 
places you could be in Nebraska are a national championship winning quarterback and the head football coach in Nebraska. Yep. And he is both simultaneously. Yes. His life must be <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, if I were him, I would live in the middle of like the country somewhere. Yeah. And just not have, be anywhere near anyone. Just, like I would find one of those small towns kind of on the outskirts of Lincoln. Oh yeah. yeah. And where like you can go to the grocery store and nobody's going to bother you because it's like, you know, like in LA, like when you see a celebrity every day, you don't care anymore. Yes. It'd be like that. All the people in the small town would see Scott every day. They'd be like, oh, we don't care. He's just Scott. We kind of protect, protect him a little bit. People get kind of protective of those people uh, that live in small towns like that. And then he'd go to work or whatever. And that's what I would do if I were him. Because yeah. he probably can't go out to eat. He can't go to the movies. No, man. I, I think you have to. Have, you probably have to have people bring stuff in for you. It's like you don't want to go out to a grocery store because you're going to get stuff Although that delivery times. stuff is, is nice now. The like high V aisles Everybody's now. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. Way better. And you know he's got the money for it. I mean, shoot. I mean, what's he make? Like $5 million a year? Like, it's not bad. He's, he doesn't have a bad gig. Oh, yeah. If I were him, I would just like, he could probably pay for a helicopter. Yeah. Also, he could probably get that written into his contract, to be honest. He can get whatever he wants. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Especially it's... if he wins, like, a division championship. Yeah. Which is a pretty low bar. But yes. if he wins, like, the Big Ten West. Oh, my gosh, man. He'll be like, I mean, okay, it's... and my... my Bonus clause is you put a helipad at my house. Yep. And put a helipad in the uh, new athletic facility that they're building. And also you pay for the gas for the chopper. I'll pay for the chopper. Oh, yeah. But you pay for the gas. Dude, the bar right now is so low. So Husker football and Husker basketball. Like Fred Hoiberg, when you said that, it's like, oh, man, if he makes it to the tournament and he wins a game. Oh, yeah. What are we talking? For sure, a statue, right? <laughs> Monument. I mean, that's like, that's a given. Speaking of Hoiberg, though, he basically had, when he was at Iowa State, he had almost the same situation that Frost has now. Yeah. Because he was basically a hero there when he played there. Yes. He was the head basketball coach. Yep. Also, he was from Ames. Oh, yeah. So it may have been a little better for him because he'd been there his whole life, basically, except mm-hmm. for when he went to the NBA. But. Man, that's like a that's a lot of pressure in your daily life. Yeah, and there's probably like less expectation there because it's Iowa. Sure, and Iowa's never good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if there's any Iowa listeners out there. There's not. We okay. have a uh, strictly have, Nebraska. Yeah, we have a we have a <laughs> Nebraska <very>, only. <laughs> you know how like the casinos put up the geofencing so you can't yes. gamble on the app outside of Iowa. Yeah, that's how the podcast is. As soon as you cross east of the of the Missouri, cuts off <laughs> the entire country except this one little spot in the middle. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Except for I will allow Council Bluffs because I love your beautiful sports books. There you go. I mean, uh, that's about all they got going for them, I think. It really, really is. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, we want to get back on track. We got a little... Yeah, pull, pull back the curtain. I'm like, dude, I, you know, like when you're talking about podcasting, like the behind the scenes stuff, man, when we look at like, you know... These people that we think Joe Rogan sure. or whoever are doing. And to be great. clear, their setup is different than mine. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> but part of it is just like that initial like I don't know, that attitude of I'm gonna try it. Like I'm gonna go for it. Yeah. And well like, and we were talking about this with your book, um, because you I publicly shamed you on Facebook about <laughs> not telling me that you were writing a book. Yes. Until you're like, Hey, go buy my book. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, um, and so, but and so we I texted you about it, just kind of jokingly or whatever. But we got into this pretty good conversation about how yeah, it's I mean the it's a little scary yep to put yourself out there. Whether it's and that's the 
I guess the the downside of having a creative outlet yeah. is the vulnerability of okay, well now it's out there for people. Yeah, this is me. This is me out there for people to consume. Yep, and there's a chance they might not like it. Yeah, and that fear of rejection and failure, I think, plays a big part in people's hesitancy to do things like this. Yeah, I think most of the country, most of the world probably lives in that hesitancy of, oh, I could do that if I wanted to, but I'm not going to because there's that little bit of fear holding them back of. Well, and they'll come up with every excuse in the yeah. book, right? Like, oh, I don't have time or it costs mm-hmm. too money to start up or, yeah. you, know, I, you know, I've got too many other obligations or, you know, and for me, what it finally came down to, and I'd like you to kind of talk about how you ended up finally writing the books. I know you've been thinking about it for years, really. Oh, yeah. You know, what it came down to for me was I had to reframe what success was in terms Mm -hmm. of this podcast, right? So, yes, if I turned into, you know, Bill Simmons or Joe Rogan or whoever and made a boatload of money off of this, like, that would be awesome. Yeah. So you should definitely listen and subscribe <laughs> and tell all your friends. Do it. Because that's still that's still a goal that we would love. Yes. Uh, but for me, I love doing radio, mm-hmm. right? And this is not radio, but it basically is, right? And for me, it was just about if I ever want to do radio or broadcasting or podcasting full time, I needed to get more experience at it. Even yeah. if I was pretty good even if I had a good voice even if I had good ideas and good content and people like listening to me I there's still just a reps yeah that you need to get in right you know uh, for like you know whether it's you know Cam Jurgens needing to get the reps in to make sure he can snap a ball <laughs> which hasn't got there yet need a few more or or you know Giannis Adetokounmpo needing enough reps on his jumper to make sure he can knock down that three-pointer this year. Adetokounmpo, is that how you pronounce it? Adetokounmpo. Adetokounmpo. Yeah, you Never almost knew that. ignore the N. Yeah. And it's I, I've i listened. It just rolled off my tongue, though. That was right? smooth, you, man. You hear that? I was like, wow, that's it right there. Yeah, it, uh, Giannis Adetokounmpo. <laughs> yeah, I just call him Giannis. <laughs> <laughs> the Greek freak. That's hard enough. Yeah. Greek freak. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, gets enough reps on that jumper so he, you know, feels comfortable shooting at yep. games. I just needed more reps in terms of hosting things and yeah. and having and creating a show, right? You know, yeah. you have I know it probably doesn't seem like I put a lot of thought into what's going on in terms of of content and each show from week to week, but you know, for instance, the uh, NFL quarterbacks as mobsters thing I did a couple oh, yeah. of weeks ago. Love that one. That was, you know, it the key is to make it seem casual. Mm-hmm. But in order to make something seem casual and still be good, you have to put a lot of work in, right? Yes. And so you're putting all this work in and just getting used to doing that. To yeah. I made that the goal of my podcast rather than, well, I need 100,000 listeners and I want to make you know X amount of dollars and that type of thing. Because those are, if that's your goal and... Honestly, this, you know, this is my first foray into having my own thing. Yeah. Then the chances of failure are a lot higher. But yeah. if my goal is to, hey, get better at being a radio personality, that's something that I have control over. Yes. I can't force somebody to listen. I can't force somebody to pay me to do this. Oh, yeah. But I can force myself to get better. And I think when you reframe what success is, that helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, 
even that right there when you're talking about just wanting to get better and putting in you know what it takes to make it look easy like that conversation you had uh, about the monster quarterbacks like you put in the work what's the line that you have to do what 10,000 hours or something to become an expert yeah the Malcolm Gladwell thing the 10,000 hours yeah yeah you know it's like there's people that do things and you look at and they're like you know they make it look easy it's because they put in the work and they put in the time Um, you know I get that uh, in my job I I do a lot of public communication I do a lot of public speaking I'm a a pastor in a church Um, and so there's lots of times you know you know I'll get that where people will say man like you make that look easy well, you didn't see the, you know, <laughs> my early years when I first started. You didn't see freshman year of college oh, where, man, you know, like there was, dude, there was one time my very first year in college, freshman year, I, I got invited to go on this, I don't know, like camp uh, conference kind of like thing. Like a retreat. Yeah, retreat. Yeah. And so they asked me to speak at this thing. I was a freshman. I'd never really done it. Never had any experience. I wrote this like sermon in the van on the way there. <laughs> so I'm a procrastinator. Sure. And so like Some I get there. Some things never change. No, yeah, nothing. <laughs> and so I get there and I get up to this campfire in my head. I had it all planned out. Like this was going to be like amazing, like, you know, five stars. And I start going and I realize I have no clue what I'm doing right now. Sure. I have no clue what I'm saying. And I'm kind of like stumbling through it. And finally I get to the end and I'm just like, um, I think I'm done. And I just walked away. Like, <laughs> this was like, I epic fail. I mean, just terrible. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it takes like all these hours of investing and, you know, get, to get to the point where you look, you know, you make it look easy. Right. Um, and, and there, it's funny because... People want you to seem casual, but they also want it to be polished. Yes. You know, so they want, and that's to me the hardest thing to do is make it seem like chaotic and off the cuff and off the top of your head, but also be polished enough to make it listenable. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is the only way to do that is to put in a ton of work beforehand. And then not only do you put in the work to have the content right and have everything Mm -hmm. like that, but then to put in the work to make it seem like something came up to you organically yes. rather than the fact that you have this script played out, right? Yep. Like the first time I hosted the uh, hosted Game Time back on 1620 before it was the Gary Sharp Show. Yeah. The uh, first time I hosted Solo, I had probably 10 pages of just like straight just script. Yeah. You know, and not that I scripted everything I wanted to say, but just, I guess outline. It was basically mm-hmm. 10 pages of outline. Of, hey, here's some topics, here's your points on those topics, and trying to make that seem like you're coming up organically yep. is really difficult. I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, uh, and I think when it works, it feels so good, though. Yes. Right? Like, there was... You can tell when you hit it out of the park. Like, right. You know, like, oh, this is gold, right? Like, here. in the moment, yep. my favorite one that I did was there was a thing about when the Madden ratings came out and Cliff Kingsbury was mad because he thought he looked ugly in the game and I transitioned that into ranking the hotness of the Big Ten coaches and (laughs) Nebraska wins right there I did I I took Scott out of it (laughs) because it's not even fair dude is just jacked like blonde hair blue eyed like you know chosen one I must have missed this one who was your number one it was Scott Scott was my number one okay he was number one but I took him out because I was like that's not fair Um, I'm trying to think I had Lovey like really high because I love that beard. Oh, it's a good he's beard. in pretty good shape. It's solid. Um, yeah. I had who who did I have in there? I'm trying to remember. I had uh, PJ Fleck is actually really. I had him 
like fourth, I think, because he he he's a good looking guy, but he's such a d bag. Oh yeah, that he, he got knocked down a few spots. Dude, he annoys me. Um, I, hate, I hate Minnesota. Which, I, by the way, I hope we kill them this weekend. <laughs> I had Mark D'Antonio pretty high. He's kind of got the silver fox thing going oh, yeah, on for yeah, him. Man. Um, Paul Christ was last. Yeah, that he's makes, not a good looking human sense. being. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Day yeah. was pretty low. Uh, Ryan Day is kind of goofy. Harbaugh, looking. I remember Harbaugh when he's wearing the khaki pants and no shirt, like a couple See, years back. I think I had Harbaugh <laughs> pretty high because, or he was in my honorable mention, I think, because I was like, listen, the like dad look is a thing, and oh, yeah, he's like yeah. America's dad, and like it's what he looks like. He he could replace Bob Saget in the reboot of, of Full House. <laughs> yes. So. Um, he That's was good. like my honorable mention. I'm trying to remember who my top two were. I'm forgetting. Pat Fitzgerald? Do you have him up there? Oh, he was honorable mention too. I feel like he's let himself go a little bit. Yeah. He's kind of, he looks like the frat boy that had too many beers. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's just yeah. a, little, a little soft around the middle now. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who else I had up there. Am I missing? I, I Ference wasn't up there. No. Um, I had never seen Indiana's coach before, so I, <laughs> yeah. I had to Google him. I was like, who are you? I, nope, I can't even think. You. Indiana, Maryland, don't even know right now. Uh, oh, James Franklin? You have him up there? No, I don't think he's... See, because somebody brought James Franklin up, and yeah. I was like, so the problem with James Franklin is, every time I think of James Franklin, I think of Keegan-Michael Key, because uh, uh, he does like those the impressions of him, and yeah. like, dresses up like him sometimes, and I'm like, he's just an ugly version of Keegan-Michael Key. <laughs> So I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it with the James Franklin. That's um, fair. It wasn't. Oh, Mike Loxley is the Maryland coach. He's pretty good looking, but he wasn't on the list. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm missing somebody big here. It wasn't Gosh. Purdue. Not Urban. No, Urban yeah. wasn't on the list. Yeah. Urban's too sleazy. He wouldn't have been high on the list anyway. Yeah. Ryan Day is funny looking. Yeah. I don't, I, it might have been. It might have just been D'Antonio and then D'Antonio Fleck and then. Uh, Love you might have been my yeah. my top four, but that's pretty solid. Anyway, the <laughs> no, that's a good take. Though. I like that. That's a good segment. I would have, you know, I, you know, what I mean though. But like, it was so I had this idea, yeah, to rank the hotness of the Big Ten coaches yeah. based on this Madden thing, and bringing that up organically in a sports talk setting. Like it's sports talk, but is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, get, hey, stick to sports. Do you oh, get that a lot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's how I know I'm doing the show I want to do. Yeah. Because listen, especially this was in like July. Yeah. There's nothing to talk about. No. I'm not going like game by game through the Major League Baseball schedule. Not going to happen. No way. And no one has practice. Not only hasn't started. But no one has seen a workout in Nebraska. Nope. No one's seen anything. You don't know anything. There's yeah. nothing to talk about. And you're going to talk about it for 45 minutes of the show anyway. Yeah. Over the course, course of a four-hour show, things are going to get loose a little bit. And those are, those are my favorite shows to do. The shows in the middle of July where you can just do anything. Dude, those are some of my favorite segments. Uh, I mean, when some guys get going and they get loose on stuff, like Damon Binning does that a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, where he'll just go off on something and you're like... I don't know where he's going, but I like it. Like, like, it's just I'm ridiculous. Not hundred percent like, sure what he's talking about, <laughs> but I'm here for it. Yeah, um, that's why I. That's why I love hosting on Sportsmanlike Conduct. Yeah, because John and Josh are super good at that. Yeah, especially like they do their dumb debates on Wednesdays. Oh yeah, and yep. that's one of my. I love hosting on Wednesdays because of that segment. Yeah, because that's my wheelhouse, right? Just taking a stupid question, dude. That was college for us. Oh, like yeah. dumb debates all the time. Yeah, yeah. you I take mean, the stupid premise. And you 
the, the one of the funniest things I think is taking a ridiculous premise and analyzing it seriously. Yes, that's one of my favorite things in the world. Oh yeah. Um, and so I love doing that type of thing. And but you're right, it is hard, especially. And this kind of goes back to that vulnerability and putting yourself out there. Yep. It's really difficult in a hardcore sports state where which Nebraska can be. Yeah. To. I guess people get people to accept that. Listen, this is going to be a better product. This is going to be more entertaining. You're going to enjoy this more. It's not what you're expecting, so you're going to backlash at me at first. Yeah, but I promise you, you'll enjoy it more in the long run. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get through that period of backlash because, I mean, objectively, four hours of football talk in the in July is not going to be good. No. It's not going to be good radio. There's not enough to talk about. There's not. And, and honestly, unless you're in unless you're in, you know, New York or LA or one of those places with year-round sports yep. and year-round sports that people care about, you're going to have lots of downtime. In Nebraska, basically, you've got from we'll call it August when they start practice to yeah. January. That's what, 5 months? Yep. So half of the year you have to you're selling you. Yep. You know, if people listen from February until July, they're listening because of you, not because of football, not because of whatever. Cuz let's be honest, people don't care enough about basketball in this state to carry them through a sports talk program. No. They care about okay, John and Josh are funny together, or yeah, it's you know, personality. It's yeah. who you are. I mean, I, exactly. I'll say as a you know, I listen to sixteen twenty all the time. Um, this isn't a pro. I'm not getting paid for this advertisement. <laughs> we should get paid for this advertisement right here. Uh, you're I mean, welcome. They, they, do, they do pay me pretty frequently. So <laughs> okay, where's my cut, man? Uh, but I, I listen to those guys all the time, and I'll be honest. I probably listen more in the summer oh, yeah. than I do in the regular season over the past couple years because I'm one of those fans where after Nebraska loses, I'm like, I can't listen. I can't read no. anything. Yeah. I'm too depressed. I don't want to like, I don't want to hear about it for at least a week until we win again, which under Mike Riley, that didn't happen a lot, but <laughs> it's getting better. It, Only listen a few weeks a year. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was more regular in the summer because I liked the fun stuff, the weird off the wall yeah, stuff. Absolutely. And so I want to get back to you deciding to write a book. Yeah. How did that, because I know, you know, we had talked about you had wanted to write a book for several years. Yeah. Hadn't really ever got it done. I know we experienced some of the same hesitations in terms of, you know, what does success look like? Mm -hmm. If this doesn't, you know, if this fails, am I a failure? Yeah, That's something I struggle with a lot. Oh, I feel that. How did you... How did you come to decide to write the book, and and how did that process work? Yeah, I think for me, yeah, I was very hesitant, um, but then I finally got to this point where, I mean, I was like, man, I feel like I want to put something out there. Uh, a couple years ago, you know, I was given the opportunity to take a four-week sabbatical, and um, for the church I work for, and they said, hey, just you know, work on you know something that you think will um, help you in future ministry. And they said, and just take some time to kind of relax and recharge. Yeah, just recharge your batteries. Yeah. And so I said, all right, that sounds great. And so I decided I was going to work on, you know, trying to become better at public speaking, which I do a lot in my job. And I wanted to start working on writing because I I have a passion for books. I love reading. Uh, I've learned a ton over the years from reading. And I I decided, uh, man, if there's something I've learned over my years of ministry that I could put out there to help people, 
uh, I want to try and do that through writing. And, uh, you know, you talk about the 10,000 hours thing, uh, you know, how much you invest in all that. So all these years, you know, I've worked in the church for 12, 13 years now, uh, years I've spent writing sermons. And all of a sudden I realize, okay, I've been writing all these years. I've been putting in this time. Maybe I should try and actually put it, you know, pen to paper and put something out there that could be a resource for people. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I was still really slow, like dragging my feet. Like I started writing, I started doing it on my own, but I was really slow to like want to put stuff out there for people. Sure, it's scary. Um, yeah, and so I was kind of like, you know, working on it and, you know, just slowly, little by little. And I got a couple projects done, um, you know, projects, books. Um, and I finally got to this point where I was like, okay, what do I do next? And I was like, ah, I'll just sit on it a little bit longer, <laughs> you know, because I was just like, it was that fear of, man, what, what's going to happen when I put this out there? And somebody says, ah, it's not very good. Ah, it's terrible. You know, do I really want to put myself open to that criticism? Because we live in a highly critical culture. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, it's like, no matter what your opinion is, there's a critic out there for it. Yeah. Um, and so, but then, you know, recently... You uh, you started doing this podcast, and actually, you know, I, I texted you this, but um, you know, when you started doing this podcast and putting yourself out there, I was like, "What the heck am I doing?" Like, I, I'm, I'm living in fear, like, yeah. you know. And um, I decided I'm going to go for it, and so I I got onto Amazon and I had this book done, and I started looking into okay, what's it going to take to self publish this sure. book and put it out there because. I had looked at like trying to send it to publishers. It turns out that's really hard to do. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, they get books all the time from people, and you know, they the chances send that it ever actually gets read. Oh yeah, are incredibly low. Oh yeah. yeah, and it's like one of them. They called me back and they said, "Oh yeah, you can self-publish with us. It's only going to be two thousand dollars." I'm like, uh. "Wait, so you want me to pay you to self-publish?" Yeah, because that's not a thing. And then I still have to do all the advertising and you know getting it out there. Uh, no, I don't think so. But you get onto Amazon and it's like, oh, I can do all this. Like you just, you know, you load your manuscript up there, you load a cover on there and all of a sudden it's like, well, boom, here we go. It's being released this month. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. I mean, you know, so yeah, I want to thank you as a friend and um, just example because I thought, man, it takes a lot to put yourself out there creatively because there are going to be people that are going to criticize it, not going to like it. But in the end, that's not who you're doing it for. Um I mean, you're doing it for those people. There are people out there that are going to find value, and they're going to take something from it, and they're going to they're going to appreciate it. And I, I appreciate that, man. I and you know it, that's not. <laughs> I know you didn't bring me on here to you know give me a big head or anything. I'm not going to complain about it, <laughs> but no, I and I do appreciate that. I yeah. it is scary, and that's kind of where I had to and I'll be interested if this is kind of where you got to too was. No matter how good something is, people will be critical of it. Yeah. And so that's right. where I kind of just was like, well, it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, because the best things, I mean, my favorite show is the Dan Lebertard show. Mm -hmm. And man, people hate that show. Yeah. It makes them so mad because <laughs> it's so, it's like a parody of a sports show. And I love it. I, I think it's really funny. I think it's really clever. And, you know, it gets me through like three hours at work, just like nothing. Yeah. And I love it. And so I kind of looked at that and was like, okay, well, if I love this thing so much and 
there's a huge percentage of the audience that just hates it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's incredible. Or same thing with, uh, with um, you know, Bill Simmons. I listen to Bill yep. Simmons all the time. All the stuff that The Ringer does uh, in that podcast network. A lot of the stuff that I love, other people just can't stand. Yeah. And so it kind of just clicked one day that I was like, well, even if these things that I believe are incredibly good, people still hate. Yep. Then why should I take the people's criticisms that seriously? Because it doesn't mean it's not good. No. It means they don't like it, and that's okay. Yep. You know, and that's kind of not to get too, like, existential on you here, but that was one of the things in um, – I went to counseling for, like, six months after my divorce. Yeah. And that was one of the things I had to be – that I – you know, the conclusion I came to was – I spent a lot of time being what I thought people wanted me to be yeah. or who I thought I needed to be or who I thought people needed me to be. Yeah. And I spent very little time being myself and that caused a lot of anxiety and unhappiness in my life. But what it rooted down to was I was afraid people wouldn't like who I actually was. Yeah. And I didn't spend any time realizing I don't like who I'm pretending to be. And so it got down to, well, I'd rather be happy and be myself and be okay with the fact that that's not going to be for everyone. Yes. Because the people that do like me will actually really like me. Yep. And the people that don't like me, that's okay. Whereas before, people still didn't like me. A certain, you know, a certain amount of people still didn't like me. And the people that did like me didn't really like the real me. So yeah. you were setting yourself up for failure there. And I feel like it's the same thing when you're putting creative stuff into the universe. Yeah. You have to be okay that it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah. And that, hey, if this is a true representation of what you're trying to do, that has to be good enough. Yeah. No, I, I agree, man. Like, it's, it's such a hard thing to put yourself out there. Oh, yeah. Well, and the other thing we talked about was realizing that if it fails, even by the standards that we put for ourselves. So yeah. even yeah. if I do this podcast for three years and I'm not any better, yeah. which is almost impossible just because of sheer reps like yeah. we talked about. Yep. But let's say I'm the exact same quality of radio host that I was when I started. Yeah. Failure is not a character flaw. It's no. just a thing that happened. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you can learn from it or you cannot learn from it. But I think part of what was the scary part for me, and I think it was for you too, was anytime I would fail, it felt like that was something wrong with me as a human being. Yes. Not just like, oh, this is an endeavor that didn't work out. Yes. Yep. To me, I mean... You know, you're talking about failure. Like to me, I've started to look at it more like I know this book that I wrote. You know, I wrote it with a, a friend from the church, Andrew. I, I know we've talked about this. We know this is not war and peace. Like we know this is not. It is 53 pages. It's a short book, but it's a start. Sure. And we think it's somewhere that's going to go. You know, same with your radio show, where it's like it's going to go somewhere if we keep working at it and keep pushing and trying to get better. It, to me, it's more about progress. Than perfection. Oh, for sure. I, I think so many people are afraid because they can't be perfect right away that they don't even want to try. They don't even want to start. 100%. But man, if you just look at it as, man, I'm trying to make progress. I'm trying to get better every day. Now, that's a great place to start. Oh, if for you're, sure. If you're focused on perfection, you'll never even step out the door and start something. And that's what I saw. Like when you started doing your podcast, that hit me. It's like, 
I mean, he's working at it, and just, he's like, just take a tiny step forward. I mean, yeah, do a, do something today that you weren't willing to do yesterday. Yeah, um, and yeah. So for me, man, like I, I look at that and I think about the guys, like you know, with podcasting, you know, for you, like Joe Rogan or Bill Simmons, they all started somewhere. Sure, you know, and I think for me, like for authors. Um, you know, some of the authors I would list off, people would have no idea. But they're a big deal, you know. But I look at them, and it's like, well, they started, you know, right where I'm at now. Yeah. It's like, so you got to try. Well, and, and it's one of the things that kind of got me to this point was, and this is silly, but uh, Dak Shepard has a podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, called Armchair Experts, which is really good. Yeah. And the... One of the things that he says all the time, because he's a writer as well as an actor, yeah. is because he struggles with starting as well. Yeah, is give yourself permission to be bad. Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission that first draft, that first podcast, that first whatever. Say, hey, I just have to start. Yes, it's okay if it's bad. Yes, it's going to be bad. Yes, and you just accept it and you say, this is this is the first try. It's going to be bad. Yep, and then we'll go from there. But once you have something concrete to build from, yep. it doesn't matter how bad the first thing is, it's still a thing you didn't have before. Yes. You went from zero to something, and it's easier to build on something than it is to build on zero. Exactly. And just being, just giving yourself permission to be bad yes. is such a huge freedom. And that was a huge thing for me. So, you know, I'm sure Dax doesn't listen to my podcast, but... <laughs> Thank Someday, you. man. Thank, Someday. Thank you to him for that. Yeah. But, and honestly, it's the same thing. And I told Josh this to his face, so I don't feel like I'm betraying anything. Yeah. But, like, when Josh Peterson took over the afternoon show, he wasn't very good. Yeah. I, no, mean, I, I remember. I remember when he took over, I was like, oh, dear God. It was a struggle. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. And Josh does listen to the podcast, so <laughs> he'll probably hear this. But... And then Josh, you've gotten a lot better, man. You're great now. Oh man, yeah. yeah I told him that okay. when I did the podcast with him, I was like, man, the last two years you've been incredible. Yeah, you know, and he's turned into. And you have to also remember, he was 25 when he got that job. Yes. So that was really young. Yeah. One of, I mean, listen, I get Omaha is not the biggest media market, but in terms of sports radio, yes. it actually is a pretty good media market because people listen. Yep. And it was one of those things where. You know, I, and he talked about this a little bit, is you just have to kind of give yourself permission to grow and realize, hey, I'm not a finished product right now. And he probably, and he said he still doesn't even think he's a finished product, even though you and I think he's awesome now. But it's one of those things where you just, you have to be okay with your first step not being perfect. Yeah. And not just not being perfect, it's like... Just get to the point where you can be like, hey, this first effort is going to be brutal. Yes, It's going to be yes. awful. <laughs> and it's just, but it's okay. Yep. Because I still move forward. Yep. And that's you how, know? that's exactly you how I feel. you and yep. fall on your face, like if you're, if, if you're, if you're Diedrich Mills, right? Oh yeah. And it's fourth and two and you get one yard and then you fall on your face forward, yep. but you're six feet tall. So you got three yards? Yeah. That's a win. You got the first down. You may have tripped on a lineman's leg and looked like an idiot. Yeah. But did you get the first down? Yep. You bet you did, you know? Yeah, man. And so there's some of that just in the – and that's the when – you're, when you're people like us and you view failure as a more – like a, a character flaw. Yeah. That's the hard part. Yes. 
Yep. And you can't look at it like you can't compare your starting point to someone's 30, 40 years of experience. And we do that so much. We do that all the time, man. We look at these people and we think, oh, man, I can never be there. It's like uh, 30, 40 years ago, they would have said the same thing. But they've invested hours and time and work. And not just people that are 30, 40 years in. Yeah. We look at like prodigies oh, yeah. that are 30 or 40 years in. Mm-hmm. Like I uh, just from a like a broadcasting standpoint, like I'll listen to Nick Boss podcast. Oh, yeah. And that dude's voice, first of all, is just perfect for audio. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. And he's a funny, funny guy. Yep. He's got this incredible mix of being really talented, Yep. really knowledgeable, and really entertaining. So, and you see that in the fact that, like, he's got a national sports, he's got a national weekend show on Fox Sports. He is a huge presence on Fox's college basketball coverage. I mean, obviously, he's a very talented human being, and other people have recognized that. So for me to be like, okay, I'm 12 podcasts in. Why am I not as good as Nick Baugh? Yeah, why haven't I made it yet? It's like, well, (laughs) he's been working in radio for 10 straight years. Yep. And on top of that, he's ungodly talented. Yes. So it's like, okay, I've been doing this seriously for maybe two or three years in terms of really trying to get better at it. Yep. And I wouldn't consider myself as talented as Nick Box. I think Nick Boz is talented as, and that's not like hating on myself. I think Nick Boz is one of the most talented people in the industry. Oh yeah. So I'm several years behind him and not a prodigy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and those are the people we constantly compare ourselves to. Yeah. We have to kill comparison. Oh, I mean, it, Comparison, and I, I, I know somebody else has said this. I don't know who it is, yeah. but comparison is the thief of joy. Yes, it really is. I mean, let's just let's celebrate people that are doing great things, and then just in our own lives, man. If there's something you want to do, like just take that first step. Like just go for it, even if you, even if it's gonna be terrible, oh, even yeah. if it's gonna be awful. Like especially if it's gonna be terrible. You know, like I, I still keep. You know, I, I know like this book that I have coming out. I know it's not my best work. Sure. Like, I know I've got better in me and there's going to be better coming down the road. But that's also... But I, I needed to go through the experience of putting something out there. And it's and also it. really encouraging because, number one, if you hadn't done this, you'd never get to your best work. Exactly. But also, it's really kind of empowering to be like, hey, I okay, I did this and that's good. I know yeah. I can do it. Yeah. I know I can do the process. But also, I think I can be a lot better. There's yes. something really exciting about that. Yep. You know, and I, I don't know, I just really appreciate, you know, someone else having <laughs> the same fears that I have. Yes. Because, you know, and it's... Everything you put out there is permanent. Like, it's just there. Especially now. Yeah. Right? It's, like, just, it's always on the internet. And it's like, if you put out something bad, it's going to be there forever. Listen, and people will call you out I, forever. And listen, I'll call myself out on probably the worst thing I've ever put on the internet. I used to work for Bleacher Report. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That sounds like a much bigger deal now than it was then because yeah. Bleacher Report's huge. I remember that, yeah. I was in like that transition phase between when they were going from a fan site to like real journalists. Yes. And I was in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I I wasn't, I certainly wasn't a real journalist at the time and I still don't consider myself a journalist, but I was more than like some fanboy mm-hmm. I considered. And so, oh yeah. Uh, but I got put on pretty prominently 
I ended up on their front page a lot, like on their splash page and everything. And one of my takes, I was covering the NFL draft. Yeah. And that was the year that Blaine Gabbert and and Cam Newton were the top two quarterbacks in the draft. And I was adamant that Blaine Gabbert was going to be a better quarterback than, than Cam Newton. And I was I was like, listen, Cam can't make, can't read the field. He can't, you know, he takes one read and then he takes off running. That's not going to work in the NFL. And then, oh, man, he passed for like 37% in the preseason. Yeah. He was awful. And I was like, look at this guy. Nailed it. This guy's a genius. Number one. And then the first week of the season sets a record for, like, rookie passing and everything. Second week breaks his own record. And it's been like that ever since, basically, until this year. Yeah. And then I'm, like, vindicated. No. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. Just took seven years. Or nine. Like, whatever it's like been. nine. It's been like oh, nine. man. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, that's out there forever. Which, by the way, I had him on my fantasy team this year. That's a tough look. Nothing. That's a tough look. Garbage. But, yeah, like, so, like, there's always the fear that... That's out there. Yeah. You know? But now, I mean, you just got to keep looking at it as, well, hey, you move on and you do better the next time. And now it's a really funny story. Yeah, it's a great story. (laughs) It's great radio. (laughs) Thank you to Fruitful Design for supporting the Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula podcast. Fruitful Design helps businesses and nonprofits be, well, fruitful with top shelf design and strategy. Whether you need a logo, website, or anything else to promote your business, which I needed all of, Fruitful Design can help you grow. They helped me set up my website for heavy lifting with Ravi Lula and were quick, friendly, and professional. Check Fruitful out online at www.fruitful.design. Once again, that's www.fruitful.design. Before we wrap up with the book stuff, I yeah. wanted to uh, I wanted to give you a chance to yeah. tell people what the book's about. Hey, we're 45 minutes in, so if you made it this far, now you actually get to hear the name of the book. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll put it in like the... We just have fun when we talk, man. I'll, put, I'll put a link to the Amazon on when I tweet the... When I tweet the podcast out, but yeah. um, tell us the name of the book. Tell us what it's about. Um, go. Yeah, so I've been in ministry for 13 years now, and uh, was a student. Ministry. Yeah, student pa- student pastor, um, and so yeah, me and my buddy that we worked together for oh seven years. Uh, we wanted to do a book for small group leaders, people that lead small groups in churches, youth groups, whatever. Um, and the big, you know, the big idea of the book was just, you know. It's a really hard thing to do. And so this whole book is all about why you should keep doing it, why you should keep investing in it. And uh, we want this to be an encouragement for small group leaders, which I realize, you know, you're, you're probably getting a lot of sports fans and you're like, ah, I don't care about this. Uh, it doesn't apply to me. That's okay. Like we said, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. But and also that's all right. a lot of these strategies, if you're, you know, if you're a supervisor at work, if yes. you have, yep. if you, if you work you know, with a team of people, if you work with any team of people in any setting, yep, you you may not have the direct correlations, but a lot of these principles and concepts carry over and are useful yep. for those settings as well. Just anytime you're trying to connect more than two people at a time, really, yeah, it can be really helpful to have some of these strategies. Yeah, it can be a challenge working with a team. And so the, the book is called F-Words for Small Group Leaders. Or no, <laughs> F-Words every small group leader should know. We uh, we went back and forth on the title a lot. But, so uh, F-Words every small group leader should know. Yes. Which and is so, a funny title. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you know, we didn't use the four-letter one that everybody's kind of worried about. But <laughs> the book was inspired by a four-letter F-Word. In fact, I, can I tell a story really quick? Yeah, go for it. All right, so... 
my very first small group I ever led uh, as an intern is this group of like kind of rough around the edges guys from like um, North Omaha and Benson area. And, you know, I led the small group all year. And at the end of the year, I asked one of them to pray. And I, I was kind of feeling pretty good about myself. I was like, oh, they've come a long ways. They've really grown a lot. And so I asked one of them to close us out in prayer, you know, this night that I was feeling really good about, you know, this small group that I've been leading. <laughs> and one of them, at the way he closed his prayer, he was like, um, and Lord, just effing amen. Like he said the F word in the prayer to close it out. And I was like, wow. I guess we haven't gotten as far as I uh, thought we had. <laughs> so, and the whole book is just an encouragement to small group leaders that, hey, it's all about progress, it's not about perfection. I mean, that's really what it comes back sure, to. Sure, yeah. Um, and I, I do, you know, one other book I wanted to uh, pitch or just throw out there, because we've been talking about this creative, yeah. you know, idea. Uh, a book that I first started reading before I started writing, somebody told me, hey, if you're gonna write or if you're gonna create content, you need to read this book. It's called The War of Art. By Stephen Pressfield, um, and this whole book—it's a really short book, uh, but the whole book—he just kind of goes through it and talks about basically just this idea of just start, like yeah. just begin. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. I mean, just throughout—it's like chapter after chapter of just this encouragement of if you want to create art, you just got to go for it and not worry about perfection and just worry about starting. And so that's again—it's F words. Every small group leader needs to know. Yep. That's by Alex Hall and Andrew Randolph. Yep. It's on Amazon, uh, paperback, and comes out October 29th. Yeah. So I did a pre-order thing, but it turns out you can only pre-order for the Kindle version when you're a self-publisher. So the paperback's actually out now. Oh, so, so go to Amazon now. Yeah. Go for and, it. And uh, and go go buy F words. Every small group leader needs to know. And you know we've been talking a lot about creative process and stuff, but. This, this idea of just beginning or just starting and, and progress, not perfection, yeah. it applies to everything, yes. right? You know, if you're trying to get in shape and you're trying to, yes. you know, you're trying to lose some weight, you're trying to start a diet, you're trying just progress, not perfection, okay? Yep. Just go out for that 10-minute walk, you know, go and, go and be, you know, give yourself permission to not be you know, the strongest guy at the gym or the, you know, most ripped guy at the gym or girl at the yeah. gym or whatever. Just go and, you know, walk, do what you're capable of, but do more than you did yesterday, right? Exactly. And it applies to just about everything. Yep. I, I you mean, know, put I, a little bit, you know, if you're trying to get a promotion at work, yes. put just a little, they might not make you manager tomorrow, yep. but put just a little more effort in than you did before. Yep. And the other thing I would add to that is, and this kind of goes back into my own story of the last like few months basically, is just don't be afraid to ask for the things you want. Yeah. Because the way a lot of this has, I guess, really kicked, you know, ramped up for me was Nick Baugh left his show at 1620. And even though I'm probably not experienced enough for it, which is what I was told, I applied for it. Yeah. And... There had been a new program director there for, I think, about a year now. And he I had met him, but I hadn't really talked to him at all. And he didn't know. I had been doing um, some crazy stuff last year, but that was about it. And I would fill in every once in a while. But he didn't realize that, you know, I wanted a career in this mm -hmm. because I had never talked to him. I'd never asked him about it until he got this resume for me. He's like, hey, this guy fills in on our air. This guy, you know, does crazy stuff for us. Why don't I know about him? And so he called me up and was like, hey, you like... 
I had no idea you were interested in this. And, and so part of it is just be confident enough to ask for the things you want, knowing that the answer might be no. Yeah. But, you know, for my instance, the answer was no to the Nick Boss show. But because this guy now knows that I'm interested in doing these things, he gave me my first opportunities to host a solo. I did two of those three-hour shows by myself, which was a huge experience for me. Um, I've done probably more filling in in the last three months than I had in the year, two years before that. You know, he gave me the Creighton Athletics Hour. He gave me Shoot Around, both by myself. You know, it was so I'm hosting. I'm the guy yeah. leading the show. And, you know, I don't have what I want yet, but I have a lot more than I had before I started asking for things, yeah. you know. And so just don't, whether it's, you know, a dream job, don't be afraid to ask for the things you want because you just never know. And even <laughs> it's simple as just like stupid stuff like podcast guests, right? I'm just like, oh, I probably can't get this guy. It's like, well, send him a DM anyway. Who cares? Yeah. You know, most people, at least in that context, aren't jerks they should be like ah sorry man I don't really have the time I'm really busy right now like that's basically the worst case scenario and then we all move on with our lives and it doesn't matter right and so don't be afraid not just to start but just to ask for hey this is the thing I want how do I get this yeah and it, it gets you just <laughs> just people knowing what you want gets you a lot further than just sitting there hoping for it yep too many times we're afraid to hear no I mean, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. It's like, that's why I was terrible, terrible yeah. at sales. I hated hearing yeah. people say no. We think it reflects on our value and, you know, it's going to make us look bad or feel bad. It's like, no, the worst thing's going to happen is they're going to say no. You keep moving forward. Like, you keep trying. Yeah. And it's, it's really not the end of the world. No, it's really not. And it's still, listen, it's still something I struggle with. I still have to talk myself in and out of things. Yes. But just knowing the things that I have in the back of my head and be like, hey, this is the time that it went well. And hey, this is the time they said no. And it was fine. You know, just having those, having the courage to do it a couple times give you gives you the ammunition to do it moving forward. Yeah, it really does. All right. Well, let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit of Husker football with you before we leave here because you're one of the bigger Husker fans that I know. I love it. I love born, it. Born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska. Gladly, you found the light and you moved to Omaha. And uh, still love Lincoln. Got a heart for Lincoln. Don't have to live in that cesspool anymore. Uh, Come on, man! They got they got one Chick Fil A now. Oh, somebody drove a car. I was gonna say they don't have it anymore because the uh, truck drove through. Yeah, it. that's unfortunate. Um, no, but the so you grew up a huge Husker fan. Uh, I believe your parents were or grandparents were season ticket holders. Yeah, yeah, my grandpa was season ticket uh, holder. Who, your grandpa is like the coolest name of all time. Oh, Hubert Hub Hall. Hub yeah, Hall. I Hub love Hall. That. Yeah. So technically, he was Hub Hub Hall. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> my dad was David Hub Hall. I'm Alex Hub Hall. Love it. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Um, so you've been a huge Husker fan your whole life. Been growing up, going to games. Oh yeah. Like me, you're just old enough to remember the '90s. Dude, I was in the crowd for that game uh, against UCF when all the fans were calling for Frankie London yep. over yep. Scott Frost. I mean, I was a little kid and I was kind of like Frankie London. Like, <laughs> okay, I isn't mean, that the game he got benched for a series? I think so. Yeah, it was a. It was very controversial. They've been bringing that up a lot. Yeah, and they keep saying it like it's 
So obviously Martinez has had his issues this year. Whether yeah. you think it's his confidence, his weight, he's got the yips. He's you know it's the talent around him. Yeah. Which the coaching staff would lead you to believe that it's all everybody else's fault and not his at all. Oh yeah. Which is a tough. That's a that's a tough sell for me. But it. A lot of people have made the conclusion that part of Frost's hesitance to pull Martinez even for a series. Yes. Is this experience he had back at Nebraska? Mm-hmm. But what they're not, and most of the time they they seem to be saying it's a good thing. Yeah, that he's standing by his quarterback and whatever. Yeah. But what they fail to address is the fact that after Scott Frost got pulled for that series, he came back in, dominated the rest of the season, and won a national championship. So pulling him for the series worked. Oh yeah, yeah, it did. And so that's what I'm having a really hard time. And obviously Martinez. Might not even be playing this weekend. We don't know yet with the ankle or knee or whatever it is. Yeah. And so that kind of makes it a moot point there. But specifically against Ohio State, you've thrown three interceptions in four drives. Yeah. Maybe you just need a drive to chill. Yeah, you just need a break sometimes. I agree with that. I mean, I— Like, listen, I'm not trying to say you should bench him for Vedral. Obviously, Martinez is way more talented than Oh, yeah. Physically gifted. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, I love Vedral. Great heart. Good athlete. And and probably—no, he's a really good athlete. But not many people line up with Adrian. He's a—no, Adrian's a a premier athlete. Yes. And— so I'm, I don't – the people that are suggesting, you know, that Martinez should be – to me, being pulled and being benched are not the same thing. Yeah. Being pulled is like you come out for a couple series and talk to the coach and let – you are allowed to see what's going on yeah. on offense while somebody else is doing it versus trying to see it while you're in it. Yeah. Whereas being benched is like, okay, you're not the starter anymore. I think there's points where they maybe should have pulled Adrian Martinez. I do not think they should bench Adrian Martinez. Yeah, I think there's definitely been some moments. You know, I was just watching a clip from Dabo Sweeney yesterday. They were asking him about Trevor Lawrence. Did he have an MRI? Is he injured? And he, you know, he said this line, and I was like, that is great. Like, he said... Um, you know, every time, you know, he throws one incomplete pass. I have, you know, all you guys in the media asking me, um, you know, is he injured? What's wrong? And he said, no, he's human. <laughs> you know, I think we saw such greatness from sure, Adrian sure. freshman year that we expected like a huge, you know, light years jump. But him and Trevor are both kind of going through that sophomore sure. slump where people have game film on them now. And they're kind of figuring out some different ways to play them. And, I, you know, Trevor, obviously, surrounded by much different talent sure. than what Adrian There's surrounded with. There's fewer variables Nebraska. in that situation. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I keep, I keep leaning more towards the side of Scott where, you know, I, I get the grace and I get the, you know, hey, we got to keep, you know, trying to make sure people know it's not just on Adrian. It's a team Sure. Thing. But I, I can see, too, where, man, maybe a little bit of time on the bench could help wake you up and be kind of a – you know, just a good moment to realign and be like, all right, I need to get focused again. Like, you know, because something's definitely been a little off this year. That's the thing is I think everybody can agree there's something that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's – I tend to think it's his weight has been an issue. Yeah. I think that not just the physical part of it, but more importantly – and I talked about this on a podcast. If you're if you're 5% less able to do the things that you are used to doing – Yeah. So you put your foot on the ground. You don't quite make the cut you thought you were going to. You accelerate. You don't quite outrun the corner the way you thought you were going to. I think that has made him less confident and less comfortable. Yeah. And that's the real issue. Yeah. So it started with the weight where he's like, oh, I can't quite move the way I want to or used to. Mm-hmm. And it got in his head. 
Yeah. That's where I think it is because you'll see moments like against Illinois in the second half where he yeah. looked a lot better. Now, he still looked heavy to me, like when he couldn't outrun those guys to the end zone on that long run. Yeah, I, I still don't think he's ever been a burner, though. He like, was, he's fast, but he was, I don't think he's, you know, he's not no, but there's run been, away from you speed. No, but he usually could get the corner. Yeah. Which he's struggled, struggled to do a lot this year. Yeah, he hasn't had the same shimmy shake that he had last he year. He certainly hasn't had the same yeah. shake, and it seems like he hasn't been able to get around the end. Mm-hmm. Like, he hasn't been able to even, if he's in one-on-one in space, he usually, he seemed like he used to be able to either outrun you or shake you and get by you, right? Yeah. And he hasn't been doing that this year. Mm-hmm. And then, so that that's my biggest issue there. But the reason you still occasionally see flashes of it is because it's mostly not physical. Mm-hmm. I think it started with a physical thing, and that physical thing made him mentally not as confident in his abilities. Yeah. And when you're a guy like Adrian Martinez, when you're playing quarterback, confidence is probably the most, I mean, co- quarterbacks in general. Yeah. Just confident. You have to be supremely confident in your ability. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you this. I, you know, we talk about, I've asked you before about some of your inside sources on Husker stuff. I got one too. And so I got a guy that's kind of connected. Yeah. And so one of his big things that uh, he's heard from inside the program, maybe I'm not supposed to reveal this. I'm probably going to get in trouble. My source will never talk to you again. <laughs> Great. But so they're saying like jumping on those snaps, uh, that's causing him to be late on getting that first read where sure. he's supposed to yeah. go. And so he's a, he's a, right away going to that second read and he's having trouble from there because then if that's not there, then he's struggling to get to the third or the fourth. You know, he's just... It's all, I mean, it comes back to center where we need a better right. snap coming out. And I, I believe that, and I've heard that, yeah. and I think that's part of it. I also think there's more to it than that. Yeah. Because it happens sometimes where he doesn't have to jump for the snap, and I yeah. know part of it's probably just like an anticipation thing. Oh, yeah. He's, he's still not, jumping even when he doesn't He's not comfortable, yeah. but also part of it is he'll be standing there in the pocket with a wide open lane with nobody there in, in front of him, yeah, and he's not taking those. Yeah, yeah, he had one. Was it last week where he had like he could have gone for the first down towards the? Yeah, there, I, I mean, he's like, like we needed five yards. There's a handful of them every week. Yeah, and those are the ones where it's like something. Either he's not confident in his ability to run, the coaches told him not to run, or something. There's something going on mentally there. Yeah, where he's not taking advantage of the opportunities that his talent creates. Yeah. And that's not something we saw last year. When there was a seam last year, he was gone. Yes. You know, maybe he wasn't going to the house, but he was getting 10, 12, 15 yards. Yeah. And that's where, you know, yeah, you have the issues on the design quarterback runs where he can't shake anybody or he can't mm-hmm. get around the corner. But it's those ones where he's gotten to a couple reads and then he's got a huge seam that he can take and he's just not even considering it. Yeah. Those are the ones that are really frustrating for me. And that, I think, is not related to the snaps. That's something else going on in his head. Yeah. And once again, I I mean, I think it all comes down to you have all these different variables at play that are really going against him. I mean, you know, young offensive line, bad snaps, wide receivers not getting open. There's so many factors. But you're right. It can't be just on everyone else. It is on him, too. Like, there's got to be equal blame all the way across. And part of the reason, in my opinion, the receivers aren't getting open as much is because – the he's not keeping the defensive backs honest with his feet. Yeah, I agree with if that. If they have to always keep a couple eyes in the backfield, yeah. then it's easier for guys to get open. That's a real thing. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I think you have that issue with the wide receivers. 
Obviously, you have a guy. You don't have a go-to guy in Stanley Morgan the way you did. No, that's um, hurt. You know, don't know if J.D. Spielman's going to be healthy or not. But I will say, I mean, I know he's been playing running back too. But Wandale Robinson is as good as anybody they've had in a long time. Dude, he's a bright spot. That's been fun watching him. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. But you're right, recruiting wise, right? Wide receiver, we either got to get some of these young guys going quicker because I know we've brought in a couple guys the last couple they've classes. Brought, brought in, including Conway Noah. Mm-hmm. They've brought in 12 guys in the last two or three classes. Yeah. So they've brought in people. Yeah. So they're bodies. either missing on the evaluations. Yep. Or they're missing on the development in terms of getting them on the field quickly. Or they just need to trust people, like give guys a chance. Yes. And that's where, and listen, we'll, we'll probably wrap up on this, but one of the things that really, and it's probably because of the, the, work, the, <laughs> the work that I do in terms of broadcasting and stuff, but one of the things that really bothers me is when people are like, well, I mean, they're the coaches. I'm sure they know better. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, listen, I understand that they're in a place where they're watching this 24-7 and they're they're paid a lot of money to do this. I get that. Mm-hmm. But there's also, and, and having coached at a much lower level, yeah. you can get too close to a situation. Yeah. That's first and foremost, whether it's in coaching a team, whether it's at work, whether it's with a relationship, you can be too close to the situation and not have a good perspective on what's going on. Yeah. That happens with coaches all the time. They'll have a guy that doesn't do something. Listen, it's not even that he doesn't go hard. It's not even, you'll have a guy that doesn't do something just a little bit the way you want it to in practice. Mm -hmm. And it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth every single day. And you don't want to put him in the game because of it. Even if he's, even if he's good, you're like, well, this guy does everything perfect. This guy does everything the way I want him to. I'm going to put him in instead. Yeah. That's not always what's best for the team. Okay. If the guy's going hard and he's trying to do what you want him to and is executing for the most part, the way you want him to listen, maybe you can't give all the wide receivers the entire packages, but you're telling me there's not a single guy on the roster that can spread the field that can spread downfield. Oh yeah, we got some speed there. Not a single guy. Yeah, because that's what we've seen this year is zero. I know there's some guys that we've brought in and they're burners. And so but we haven't gotten them out there yet. You know, even if you have them out there for just a specific package of plays. Yep. You're telling me you can't teach, you know, these freshmen three or four plays. Yeah. And even if you're a wide receiver. It's so much easier than, say, a quarterback or a, a lineman or a running back because here's the thing. if you're Especially if you're the X outside receiver, right? Mm-hmm. And your job is basically just to spread the field and you can just go on a sprint or a post or whatever. Yeah. You can run that out of, if you're the offense, you can run that out of all of your different formations and his job doesn't change. Nope. Simple. You basically just have to teach him to run <laughs> in a straight line and wait for the snap. Yep. <laughs> so it's not one of those things where, you know, I get there's more to like maybe he goes in motion or whatever, but you wouldn't have to. You could leave him on the outside and let him run straight down the oh, field. Yeah. You're telling me there's not a single guy on the roster that can do that. Listen, I get that there's the freshman and, and some maybe the sophomore wide receivers can't figure out the whole playbook. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they can't do the thing that you need them to do. Exactly. And I think coaches run into a lot of, a lot of times they're like, well, he can't do this, he can't do this, he can't do this. What are the things he can do? Yes. Can he help you with any of those things? Oh, yeah. And to me, that's where you get the, the best coaches, I think, in their respective sports are Belichick and Popovich. 
and that's what they do. They find guys. That's why they're like, where did they find this guy? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, he's an undrafted free agent. They got him in the seventh round. It's because they're like, okay, we need somebody who can do this specific thing. Yep. I don't need somebody that can do everything. No. Nah. You know, that's why they consistently get running backs that, whether it's Burkhead or Dan oh, yeah. Woodhead or James White or LeGarrette Blunt or uh, whoever. There was that one guy that was, like, working construction one week, <laughs> scored three touchdowns on Monday Night Football, yeah. showing up late for a meeting and got cut the next day. Yep. Um, what was it, Sonny Gray or something? I don't remember his name. But, yeah. And so you, the reason they're able to do that is because – they're looking for the things they can do rather than yeah. things they can't do. And too many times coaches get caught up in what are they not able to do. Yep. I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, yeah, they do have to evaluate that. And, I, you know, I, I am probably one of those fans that kind of leans toward, you know, trusting the coaches sometimes sure. at this point. Um, you know, I've been that way in the past. Uh, well, maybe not so much with Mike Riley, but <laughs> uh, but you know, in, in my mind, Mike. yeah, and in my mind, I do think it was a mess that they had to inherit and that they've come in to take care of. And I, you know, at least year two, I'm still just trying to look at it from the perspective of a hey, progress over perfection. Sure, you sure. know, hey, are we already, better than last year? Already matched last year's win total, yeah, right? Like yeah. we're only halfway through the season. That's awesome. And, and again, I'm not trying to throw the staff under the bus. Oh, no. But yeah. it's just to the larger point of, you know, people will come at you and be like, well, if that was the case, I get this a lot with creating basketball stuff too, is, oh, well, if that was the case, don't you think the coaching staff would know that? Yeah. You know, don't you think the coaching staff would have made that decision by now? I was like, no, I don't. Yeah. Because, A, especially when it comes to basketball, I can, and this is probably just pure ego, but I consider myself as good at basketball knowledge and uh, strategy and that kind of thing as anybody like I just do yeah and so again that's that's ego and I'll, I'll, I'll own that but also coaches don't know everything and that's the other thing is you know even we see yeah. with Frost a lot yep he's in his fourth year as a head coach he's young man. that's not a lot no and we're expecting every decision he makes to be perfect yeah and that's not going to happen. Yep. Even, I mean, look, listen, uh, you use Osborne, for example, right? Yeah. You go all the way to the 83, uh, so the 84 Orange Bowl for after the 83 season, right? Mm-hmm. They go for two against Miami. He was 10 years in, yeah. was wildly successful, yeah. was probably pretty complete as a head coach at that point, and he still made a decision that a lot of people think was wrong. Yeah. You know, you kick the extra point, you tie the game, you win the national championship. Yep. They would have won the national championship with a tie. That's not up for dispute. That's a thing. Yep. The only thing that would have cost them was a loss. And he's like, nope, I want to win it the right way. Listen, ballsy is all get out, and I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. But you can argue pretty convincingly that he made the wrong decision. Could have had another championship, man. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And so even when they are what you would consider a perfect coach, quote-unquote, which most people would have considered Osborne both at that point and moving forward, you still make questionable decisions. You still make wrong decisions. No one's going to be infallible in a coaching position. So to make it seem like, oh, this guy on the radio – doesn't know what's going on and doesn't know, you know, he couldn't possibly have a better idea than the coaching staff is just not true. Yeah. No. And I, you know, I think even like, you know, Osborne, you know, he got 
so much heat back in the day, like the 80s. Oh, um, yeah. You know, my dad would talk about this all the time, but he said it wasn't until, I think, like the 90s when, you know, he had to have a hard conversation with Charlie McBride, and I, I think they had to basically say, like, we got to change something on the defense. And I think they went from a 3-4 to a 4-3, yep. um, and they just shifted it. And, it, you know, obviously the 90s were really good for Nebraska, but they were willing to keep to, – to realize we haven't arrived yet. we got to keep working and developing. And I think Frost is – you know, he knows that and understands it. They have to – there's going to be things they're going to have sure. to tweak. There might have to be some coaching staff tweaks that come along the way. Which, you know, that – and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but Troy Walters at that wide receiver coach position – you start to wonder at this point. You yeah. know, if you go through another year where no one develops at yes. wide receiver, I mean, J.D. Spielman was pretty good when they got here. Stanley Morgan was pretty good when they got here. Wandale. Wandale was good the moment he stepped off the bus, right? Yeah. Not a lot of development for him to do there. No. Like, and so the guys that have needed development, what have we seen? Yep. And so, you you know, maybe you do have to make a staff shakeup. Maybe you have to hire some guys that have performed at the Power 5 level before yeah. with – which, you know, it's really cool that he brought his whole coaching staff from UCF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe not everyone that coaches at a UCF can cut it in, at the Big Ten. No. There's, like, they can't. Yeah. Well, look at one of our best coaches right now, the D-line coach, you would argue. Yeah. Tony uh, Tuioti. Yeah. How you say his name? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Power 5 experience right there. I mean. And listen, Power 5 experience isn't the end of the world, isn't the be-all, end-all. Yeah. And. You know, there's a lot of guys in smaller schools that I think can be successful at that level. Yes. But there's some guys that there are a reason they were at that level. Yep. You know, for it, like, you know, Frost is a good example. He, I believe, can be successful at the Big Ten level mm-hmm. and moved up where you've got Frank Solich, where he's probably better at the level that he's at. Yeah, he's excelled. He's done really well at Ohio. Yeah. I don't even know that he struggled at Nebraska. He was pretty good at Nebraska, but I don't know that that was as good of a fit for him as Ohio is. Yeah. You know, and. The other thing, and I'll get off of this soapbox after that, but the other thing that people don't realize is the biggest difference between a Division One coach, whether it's football or basketball, yeah. and people that are just really knowledgeable that either aren't in coaching or are coaching at other levels, is the level at which you played that sport. Yes. There's yeah. only, I believe, three or four Division One head coaches that did not play college football. It's yeah. Mike Leach... Sonny Dykes, uh, Dana Holgerson, and I think there's one more. Uh, maybe if, if Bob Davies is still at New Mexico State, I don't think he did either. Yeah. But all three of those guys, if I'm not mistaken, came from that Mike Leach coaching staff. <laughs> so really, or that coaching tree, right? Yeah. I know yeah. I know Sonny Dykes did, and I believe Dana Holgerson did back in the day as well. So you're all basically coming from the fact that Mike Leach was given a chance and was really good, and then these other people got chances because of him. Yeah. Other than that, you're talking about 126, 127 teams that they all played college football. Yes. Yeah. So you're telling me that there's no one. So you're talking, and what, they have, what, nine-man staffs, something yeah. like that? Yeah. So you're talking about close to 1,000 guys, most of who played college football. You're telling me there's no one who didn't play college football that's more qualified than one of those 1,000 guys? I just don't believe it. No. You know, and the other thing is that people don't realize a lot of these guys had really, really crappy jobs for a really, really long time before they got the high-paying Division One jobs. Oh yeah, and not everybody wants to go through that, dude. Yeah, what would Frost start out as a K-State uh, grad, grad assistant? Grad assistant, uh, and let me tell you, grad assistants don't make any money. Like I'm no. not saying they don't make much money. I'm saying they yeah. don't make any money. Yep. 
Which once again goes back to our conversation today about, you know, you got to start somewhere. You do. I mean, and that's where these guys had to grind. Yes. I mean, Coaching worked. is one of the hardest professions to start in. Yep. And just because you don't want to go through that, you don't want to put your family through that, whatever, oh, yeah. doesn't mean you're not knowledgeable enough to question some of those things. Yes. And that's one of the things people don't realize is most of these guys spend their lives basically moving every year. Yep. I was listening to uh, Pete Carroll on a podcast. He had he worked for five different teams in three years Jeez. when he was starting out in coaching. Yeah. So he moved five times with a wife, and I think he had kids by the end of it. That's hard. In three years. Yeah. Not everybody wants to do that, and that doesn't mean they're less knowledgeable about football. It means they didn't want to do that. Yeah. Because that sucks. That's sacrifice, man. You know? That is tough. And listen, just because you didn't have, you know, or for me, for instance, one of the things that as a type 1 diabetic, yep. I had to make decisions about, okay, where can I get insurance that I can afford my medicine and my supplies and everything? And to me, because I thought about going the coaching route, but like yeah. grad assistant, that wasn't really going to work. You know, a lot of the like lower D3 jobs or like a lot of guys will take unpaid jobs to start and they'll be full time, but they're unpaid. Yeah. I mean, you've seen all like Last Chance You. Some of those guys are unpaid that they just get basically a room to sleep in. Yep. That wasn't an option for me. You know, and so I'm not looking for a pity party or anything. I like my life, but there's other mitigating circumstances where, okay, there might be a lot of people out there that are just as knowledgeable about these sports that just either chose not to pursue that path, couldn't pursue that path, or weren't physically gifted enough to play that sport that they love at a high level. I mean, I'm five foot eight. I'm an Indian guy. Okay. And I'm not like a, I'm not a Muggsy Bose type athlete. What were the chances I was going to play basketball at a high enough level to ever coach Division One? Slim, yeah. Right? Slim. Mm-hmm. I mean, none. <laughs> there, yeah. I mean, there was no chance that was like physically. The moment I was born, I was eliminated from oh, being yeah. a Division One coach in all likelihood. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No. Does that make me any less knowledgeable about basketball? No. It's just, my dad's a five three Indian guy. What do you want me to do? Can't do anything about it. You know no. what I mean? <laughs> so I've just, I've been especially these last couple of weeks where people have been you know second guessing Frost about either Martinez or yeah. uh, or Cam Jurgens with the center position or Troy Walters with the wide receivers. Yeah, it's just been really frustrating to be like, well, they're the coaches; they know better. Yeah, it's like well, they might, but they might not. Yeah, that's not a foregone conclusion. Oh yeah, and I think it's okay to have these conversations too because I think it does. You know. It, it should be viewed as, hey, let's stay sharp and keep pushing to get better. And, you know, because people notice. Like, people notice, like, there's problems, there's issues. Sure. And we're not just, oh, happy-go-lucky, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid all the time. It's like, no, we have to have these conversations. Otherwise, it's like, oh, what are yeah. we going to do? Just keep slipping? Like, Yeah, well, because <laughs> you don't have these conversations, you end up hiring Mike Riley. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> mm, yeah, I think it's good to have and hold accountable, <laughs> you know. For sure. Well, Al, that's where we're about hour 15. I think I've taken up enough of your time. Dude, thanks for having me, man. That's yeah, man. I really appreciate you stopping by. One more time, give them the name of the book and where they can find it. F-Words, Every Small Group Leader Should Know, and it's on Amazon right now for sale in paperback. <laughs> Or you can pre-order and get the Kindle in like two weeks. In two weeks, yeah. (laughs) So Uh, I'll figure that Amazon thing out for book number two. You know, we'll get that sorted out. (laughs) Are you working on any other books? Yeah. Is there any other things that you're working? Any other projects you're working on right now? So really, this was kind of like my you know first run book. My next one's like my real like passion project that I was working on solo. It's uh, 
basically it just deals with the idea of you know quitting uh, how easy it is in our culture to do sure uh, me I was a serial quitter my whole life growing <laughs> up I quit everything if it was hard or difficult um, and just how I've learned to overcome that in my own life um, so that one I'm really excited about and especially now that I've kind of gotten you know my feet wet and kind of learned sure. how to do this process uh, I'm looking forward to trying to launch that one next year great so look yeah. for more books from Alex in 2020 and uh, yeah again F words every small group leader needs to know if you lead a team of any kind uh, you can definitely use the strategies and principles in that book they'll be helpful to you uh, really appreciate you joining me and we will talk I'm sure we'll talk again soon I hope so man um, fun. I think we've got a oh while you're here I wanted to I wanted to promote another podcast that we've recorded with a few of our friends oh yeah alright so Alex and I for people that don't know uh, played the lowest uh, form of college basketball known to mankind together. Still college basketball. Still counts. <laughs> at Nebraska Christian College, which it's a whole different deal now, but at the time was basically the lowest level of, of sports known to mankind at the collegiate <laughs> level. And he, uh, we... The only place a 5A Indian guy could play. That's right. <laughs> that's that's why I did play, because I was like, hey, I might want to coach one day. And a 5'10 white guy that could barely touch rim. <laughs> hey, I never touched rim. <laughs> In my life. <laughs> um, so we sat down, uh, Alex and I, along with our friends, uh, Justin and Josh uh, and Jake, uh, almost as like just like a uh, like a measuring stick because he played real college basketball. Uh, so he, uh, you know, Jake from from Meathead Mondays, but he joined us <laughs> as well and basically just talked about our experiences in the uh, basically the primordial soup of intercollegiate <laughs> athletics. The yes. lowest form of life. That's where we were. And uh, that's going to come out in a couple weeks. That's actually going to drop on the 25th. Check that out. So make sure you check that that's out. It's a fun conversation. Um, and then since I had everybody together, we uh, we did another one as well. So I'll probably play those on the 25th and then that following Monday, the 27th, I think. I don't know dates, but it's, the, it's <laughs> two, weeks, two weeks from now and then the Monday after that we're going to play uh, podcast with that group of guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure you'll love the conversation and, and look forward to hearing from it. But I'm sure I will talk to Alex soon. Thanks again for joining me, buddy. And for all of you fine folks, make sure you subscribe to Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. Uh, rate, review. Well, only rate if you're going to give it five stars. Otherwise, don't rate it. Yeah, get out of here one star. Um, <laughs> uh, review. You can follow me on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. Twitter is at R-A Lula. And then the website is RavieLulaRadio.com. Really appreciate your support. Really, really appreciate your time. And uh, we will talk to you soon.